Uh, and here we're here to give you guys an update today on basically what we're taking away from this holiday season in the transportation, freight market economy, um, all connected as we're going to show you shortly. <laughs> Long, I don't know if I still know how to do this. I was joking with Fraser before the show. Um, I haven't shaved in about a week. I am keeping up with some econ news, but I'm, I'm excited for the show coming back after the Thanksgiving holiday and excited for everything. So I will definitely be looking and monitoring some of the social media. So if you want to join in on the show on LinkedIn, YouTube, whatever it might be, be a part of the show. Ask us some questions. What are you seeing in the market? Give us some updates on your end as well. Also, don't know if I've said this yet, but one of my best predictions or forecasts has come true. I don't know if I ever gave them a shout out. New Mexico State Aggies taking down Auburn, then having another game win. I think we're nine and three right now for New Mexico State and also going to the conference championship. Sorry to start the show with that, but just had to get it out of the way. Yeah, we're all sorry. Uh, but, you know, we don't have to, you don't have to bring us all down with it. <laughs> No, the Aggies coming up uh, out, of, out of nowhere, man. And then Auburn giving Alabama a run for their money. I which... was hoping that Auburn was going to beat Bama. So then that way you can have like the transitory <clears throat> Auburn's better than Bama, then New Mexico State's better than Bama. As Anybody well. that saw the end of that game, I'm just going to leave that there. Wild. Uh, less than like half a percent chance. Yeah. Speaking of data, <laughs> wow. like... Less than half a percent chance. Well, anyway, don't tell me the odds. <laughs> so <laughs> let's go on and get everybody started off with the yes. market in two. Anthony, if you want to count me in. And three, two, one, go. All right. We're going to start off with our OTVI taking its typical seasonal drop here around Thanksgiving. It will eventually come back up after the seven-day moving average clears the, uh, the sector there. If you watch with Sonar, uh, you'll know why. And the, the big takeaway here, though, is that every year, you know, you can compare the holiday dips to each other. And in this situation, we're roughly eight to nine percent higher than we were this time last year around the same period of time with the holiday drop. So demand is actually pretty strong. And that's something that most people in the space are having a hard time dealing with. It's almost like, no, it's not. You know, if there's so many trucks out there, you're not going to know because the demand is going to be more evenly dispersed across the space. But that is what is happening. We've got tender volumes uh, roughly 8 to 9% higher. We move on to the next chart. And it's going to show you the outbound tender rejection index, which is a measure of the rate of rejection of those tenders. Uh, nobody cares. <laughs> and it moves down, uh, you know, after a slight little bump there, over 4% for a hot second, and then back down to where it came from. And we're just not seeing any real strong growth and the outbound tender rejection index, which is the big key indicator that I'm watching for any signs of life in the freight market. We're waiting for this capacity to kind of bleed off and it's just not happening. Let's go to the next chart. Uh, spot rates themselves are actually coming up a little bit here. Traditional, we see a little bit more mixing of expedited freight, guaranteed freight, service-centric freight coming online. Uh, in the spot rate index doesn't necessarily mean the market's turning by any means, but it is a decent sign that rates are rising right now for the providers out there that are struggling to, uh, you know, really keep uh, online and busy. So move to the last chart here, looking at the contract rates, 
They dipped in November. We saw a little bit of a recovery here, but the overall trend line is for the contract market to slowly deteriorate as that spread between spot and contract is still abnormally high. We are still in a freight recession. Time, Zach. So let's start it off with that OTVI talking about volumes. We're seeing that there's an increase on a year over year basis. Is that right? Yeah. And we still haven't seen, of course, capacity bleed off in such a way that it will be meaningful. Yeah. So the capacity growth was so great. Mm-hmm. And I've got a meme for everyone since everybody's been on this meme kick. Anybody that's <laughs> on the Freight X, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the big meme wars. So memeonomics comes back. This is my thought about everything that I just said. <laughs> Look, freight volumes are up 9% year over year. See, nobody cares. <laughs> it's accurate. And it's just, it's interesting because we also talk about replications. We're talking about capacity leaving the market. And it's been leaving and there has been exits, but not at the rate that we saw that exponential rise throughout, yeah. of course, the midst of COVID right now. So when we're seeing these volume increases... You know, typically, yeah, typically we see demand increase around the holidays a little bit. We see these spikes, but tender rejection rates are more responsive than they than they were. But that tender rejection index just tells us that carriers are just sucking it all in. Yeah, this is under contract too. the tender data is very contract centric. Uh, We kind of think about the rejection rates as what's going to bleed off into the spot market potentially. And it takes a lot more than three and four (laughs) percent rejection rates to end up on the spot market. So what happens on the spot market is we have all this ad hoc freight, (laughs) which is kind of straight to spot Mm. type freight that doesn't end that doesn't end up in the contract space. It's not coming out of the contract space. It's just direct to spot. And a lot of that's irregular. And that's why we see around these holiday periods, especially when rejection rates are low, the spot rates, the average spot rates increase over this period of time. And so when we're looking at this, going from fourth quarter to first quarter, we're thinking about, of course, things like RFPs. We're thinking about contract rates. We're going to be some of the expectations you think are going to be out in the industry right now. We're looking at that mindset. You know, we, we talked about, I, I showed you the contract rates uh, there at the very end. And they're, they did have a little bit of a weird bounce. I mean, but they're still trending lower. I mean, the, the idea of these charts is the trend lines. You always want to follow the trends. That's yeah. what wins. Uh, I don't know if I just came up with that or not, but the, uh, the trend line for the contract market is for continued softness, you know, continued deterioration, but we're still seeing rates. If you look at that blue line there, that purple line, that was from, uh, 2020. Uh, so that's, you know, we're, we're still above that, that point in time. So we haven't seen that level of deterioration where contract rates are all the way back, you know, to that 2019 level. I mean, that 2020 line was actually pretty high at this point in time, too. Got it. And so, I mean, talking about this, of course, one of the things that comes to mind, we're thinking about volumes, we're thinking about movements, is going to be, of course, this time of the year, talking about inventories. And that kind of goes retail. into retail. Retail. And it goes into <laughs> our first story when you go into Newsonomics. Um, this one written by the amazing Mark Solomon, talking about holiday retail inventories remain balanced as shoppers show strength and F. R says. So I have a few thoughts about this. So of course, National Retail Federation, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes they put out some really interesting information, some tidbits, but at the same time, knowing you got to take some of this with a grain of salt because I, they're going to have some rose colored glasses on when I think they're looking at. Why would they do that? This is, this is their thing. They, they want to really push a more positive spin on the state of the consumer, the state of retail. And so I think when you're looking at this, 
take some of the information away from it, but don't use this as your sole source of what's so going on. you're saying on. they have a little bit of an agenda and some bias in there? Yes. <laughs> potentially, potentially. Well, that's none of my business. Potentially, potentially. So I, I think there that was is another a, meme I could have made. <laughs> Kermit the Frog TV. Kermit the Frog. Yeah, yeah. But I do think this is an excellent article uh, put together by Mark Solomon. And I think it definitely highlights some of the trends that we're seeing. And I think this is one of the other things that we're looking at when we're thinking about the macro economy is that there are just so many things going on and you can look at a trend and then you can diagnose what well, the I, cause I, of it is. I kind of want to ask you a few questions about some of this information because there's some pretty nice numbers uh, yeah. embedded in this article that people should definitely take a look at. Um, on average, each shopper spent about $321 on holiday-related items during the cycle. And the cycle is defined by like November 1st to December 31st as their holiday season. Um, and this was you know, 121.4 million people visited physical retail locations. Uh, that was down from 122.7 million people. And online shoppers were up uh, to 134 from 130 million. Is there any takeaway here that you you feel is, is necessary? It sounds like to me, my takeaway was uh, people are still spending a lot of money on on retail goods. $321 is, is a lot uh, so far. Yeah. And... 121, like we're, we're seeing a little bit of this shift to online. Is that, am I reading that right? Is this? Yeah, I, I think. A continued um, shift to online, I should say. That, that continued shift. Of course, we saw that really be accelerated throughout COVID. Um, online e-commerce really got supercharged throughout that. Um, I believe the latest figures from the Census Bureau had it up over 7%, around 7% on a year-over-year basis. Mm -hmm. Um, but easing overall, the thing that I, I think is interesting is we've seen these deals start a lot earlier and earlier every single year. We're yeah. starting to see these fake Black Friday deals where it's like, you know, $100 off the original price. And then they have it marked down to, you know, the original price was even higher than you act like you're getting a better deal than what you really are. So we've seen this kind of happen earlier on in yeah, the I year. I read something that said that the average discount around Black Friday was actually about 5%. Yeah. The biggest discounts actually occur on the Super Saturday, which is the Saturday before Christmas. Is that right? I I, I don't have any data behind yeah. it, but I believe that because... I, I think, think it was 20 to 30% was the average discount on Super Saturday, whereas only right now, as of... I guess recent years, it's been around 5% for Black Friday. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I think people right now, just the sentiment, and I, I can't talk to the numbers and I, I, I apologize. Yeah. I wish that. I could cite what I read. Yeah. I, I think it was in a Bloomberg or a Wall Street Journal article somewhere. Uh, yeah. That that's, that's the case. But and you hear it all over the place where it's just like, you know, the deals aren't mm -hmm. real deals um, <laughs> this time of the year. And at the same time, we're seeing these, um, inventories. We had Dr. Zach Rogers on uh, last time mm -hmm. talking about the inventories and that correction and, and moving back from just in case to a little bit more instead of like a just in time. And so I think we're still seeing that and that lack of yeah, urgency he, earlier on. You know, they, the NRF kind of dis, like disputes that. They mm -hmm. say that they're not seeing as much, like, I don't know if they naturally dispute it. They're just saying that they're uh, they're not expecting late cycle inventory replenishment pushes. And I think that kind of just, it doesn't work real well with that just-in-time mentality because yeah. if you're going to a just-in-time mentality, that's exactly what you have, right? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, and so I think like that's, that's kind of why I said you got to take some of this with some grains of salt because 
there are going to be some takeaways that you can kind of glean from their reports and their analysis and things like that. But at the same time, understanding their perspective and what kind of picture they're looking to paint out of it. I think when we're looking at this, one of the big things that they kind of leave out is the consumer uh, personal savings rate isn't quite where it should be, of course. Um, but the labor market has been propping up a lot of consumers. And mm-hmm. so that's really been a big positive. We're starting to see some ticking up in the initial jobs claims. Continued claims are the ones I think are going to get a little bit more attention now. That is starting to ease up a little bit, uh, like ever so slightly, those continued claims. It's not those initial ones. It's those that are yeah, I wish I had the part of the continued claims to pull up here because I looked at this a few weeks ago and re- when I was researching something for a chart of the week and I saw these continued claims situation. Yeah. That's arguably one of the most concerning numbers in the labor figures that I'm looking at because it's a very consistent upward yeah. trend and to the right, right? It's an upward moving trend. Mm-hmm. And as you, trends wins. And explain what continued claims are. So initial claims are going to be, of course, released every every Thursday, um, 8.30, I believe. Mm-hmm. And those are going to be those that file for unemployment benefits from the government. And so those get reported. It's a weekly update but it's going to be reported as of last week. And so those initial claims are those individuals that are filing for unemployment for the first time, an initial claim. Those continued claims are those individuals that have not found work, but continue to file for unemployment benefits or assistance here. And so those are going to be those individuals that just can't find work, even though we're seeing that we're, there are over 9 million job openings and unemployment rate is still um, hovering just below 4%. Yeah, I, don't, I don't like that job openings number. I don't, I don't trust it to be a... Yeah, it's, it's a strange. We, we've been suspicious of this yeah. job openings in the labor market for, I think, over, over two years over now. <laughs> a couple of years. I feel like there's some dirt in there and it's yeah. not their fault. It's just the nature of how humans kind of can get involved with data reporting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, why, they're not motivated to clean up some of the noise, you know, in the situation. Because if you put a job out, <laughs> what are you trying to do? You're trying to attract uh, new applicants. Yeah. If you take that down, you don't gain anything. Right. <laughs> like there's nothing to gain, you're, except you're just not going to get new applicants to that job. So there, there's just not as big of a motivation to pull something down as there is to put it up. Exactly right. So I think it's almost like uh, we had a joke as around Halloween. I want to say maybe it was ghost openings yeah. or job openings, yeah. or even a ghost recession or something like that. But um, I think there's a lot of ghost job openings right now where there are those individuals or those companies that are hiring mm-hmm. and they are also doing that um, multiple office uh, if they have different offices throughout the country they can just put them out through all these different parts of the exactly. country also if it's remote they might just ping a few metropolitan areas hey let's have this job opening in atlanta let's have this one in uh, i don't know kansas city let's have this one in boston right. they'll put it up all over the place when it's just one location they're just kind of so I think there are multiple job openings for those that aren't really hiring. The new behavior after COVID. Yes, yes. I think I created a new <laughs> right. behavior. And then yeah. also um, the service side, hospitality, service spending, definitely got a huge bump. So I think there's still, even though we're in this, you know, winter months here, or going into the winter months, into the colder period. Yeah. Usually, of course, we start, we're talking about retail here. Service spending is, I think, still propping up some demand for hosp- hospitality and right. things like that um, in service sectors. So you're thinking about um, not just hotels, but travel. You're thinking about... Um, so um, I want to I get your last takeaway and close the loop on this NRF article. Uh, yeah. So it said, the NRF said the data is consistent with what it expects to be a 3% to 4% year-over-year rise in holiday spending. Um, but this is not adjusted for inflation. <laughs> uh, what, what are your takeaways if, you know, from this in the way that it's not adjusted for inflation? Is this a successful... I mean, I think it's 
relatively stable from a year-over-year perspective. I don't think there's too much discounting you can do from an inflationary standpoint, but tell me if I'm wrong there, and then tell me what do you think happens next? Is this going to be your traditional, like, holiday shopping spree where everybody outspends their coverage? Yeah. And we get into kind of this pull-forward scenario for the winter, like, starting next year, are we going to be kind of suffering more? Yes, I think, um, especially when we're looking at that three to four percent, not adjusted for inflation figure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's too outlandish because we're looking at uh, the CPI. Yeah. That is up, I think it was 3.2% yeah. so on a year on par, basis. Right? Yeah. And then you're looking at the PCE, the personal consumption expenditure index, which mm-hmm. just got released not too long ago. That was up, I believe, 3% on a year over year basis and then 3.5% for core. And so when we're looking at those two, this mm-hmm. is kind of in line with some of those inflationary figures, even though those numbers take on more variables and more yeah. industries into that, like housing and all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, but when we're looking at that, it, it's interesting because, yeah, people are going to be buying more, but they're also spending more. And I think it's that, under we all understand that. Yeah. And I think that was... So are we going to, like January is typically like a dead month yeah. for economic activity? Or you think this is going to be more dead? Are people going to wake up and go, oh, credit card bill, this actually is higher than I want it to be? I think... Um, my, I'm be watching March, April timeframe, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's when we'll start to see um, some realization in the labor mm-hmm. market. Okay. Um, that's where I'll start to get a little bit more concerned about the state of the consumer. So right now, I think consumers are going to continue to make purchases as long as they can have those jobs. And then they'll find other mechanisms to make those purchases. One of the things that we were mentioning all the time, of course, is uh, not just credit card spending, but buy now, pay later. We've been talking about that one, I think, for two years or so. Another thing that made a pretty significant uh, resurgence uh, this holiday season throughout Black Friday and all this other stuff. So I think those types of mechanisms will continue to be popular for those that are looking to stretch. Um, the American consumer is not going to be, I don't think, uh, and, and, you know, frugal by any means going into this holiday season. So I think we're not rewarded spend, for frugality. Not at all. <laughs> and who are we learning from? The government? Yeah. They're uh, spending. I mean, also the savings rates are not... They're, they're, they haven't recovered still. Like, they're still down. They're still down. A lot of folks are going to point to, I think, some... It, it's a, Why would they save, though, when the inflation rate has been significantly higher than the, yeah. the what they're offering for hoarding their money? Yeah, and it's going to hit people at a disproportionate rate. If yeah. you're making, you know, $500,000 a year versus making, I don't know... Why would you hold on to it when your return is less than your value of money? That yeah. doesn't make any sense. And if you're making, I don't know, $45,000, dollars a year, and I'm that not saying a lot harder. Yeah, and I'm not saying they should just throw it on a 20% credit card <laughs> because that's that's worse, by the way. Uh, you, do, I think saving 3% of that versus losing 20% of it is much better. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, I think that's, I, I'm curious to know how sustainable we are, I guess, in this whole spending spree environment. Um, but it has been strong. And I think this helps explain the delta of that, uh, that freight volume growth, where we can say, arguably, demand is actually flat. Yeah. But the delta comes from the fact that inventories are lower. Mm. <laughs> and so they're having to kind of ship a little bit more frequently because they're keeping it tighter. Right. Um, and, I, I, you know, that last minute replenishment push, I think we're too early to call that right now. Yeah. You know, it's... <laughs> and before we jump into, um, we have our, our next article jumping into uh, around used trucks, just kind of also put this one on. We're looking at um, what the consumer is doing. Mm-hmm. 
we talked about, was it 4.9% GDP growth? Mm-hmm. Um, so they do, I believe it's two revisions for the GDP figure. First revision just came out. That number has now been upward revised to 5.2%. And this kind of comes into that argument that we were talking about before when the initial number comes out, what is sustainable? And this is quarter over quarter. This is quarter over yeah. quarter. So for the third quarter, instead of the 4.9, I think what it was, it's now at 5.2%. Mm-hmm. So this is not sustainable. We saw increases mm-hmm. increases in government spending. Um, I think that played a pretty significant role. Right. Uh, business inventory investments increased. I think it was 2.4% from 0.8% potentially. And then we also saw inventories rise and increases in inventories also boost up the overall number as well. So there are, I won't say GDP is the best figure at all for measuring the health of the freight market. I did reconcile our OTVI to the GDP number though, because you remember I was a little, I was, I'm very doubtful of aggregate figures at that level, that scale. Uh, It's really hard to come up with those figures and draw any real significant meaning from them, but Actually, OTVI grew 4.9% exactly from Q2 to Q3 on a monthly basis. Yeah. And you can also do the goods adjusted GDP as well. And that has a really interesting relationship to the year over year uh, OTVI. It's nuts, dude. I I didn't, I, I, it took, I had to look at my own data, (laughs) you know, (laughs) to be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe they're, they got that one. Um, On to something here. On to something here. (laughs) Yeah. That's good. I mean, all right. So it grew, not sustainable. And a little bit of overheating going on. But I still think that feels like a bounce, you know? Mm -hmm. We came out of this COVID era and it's like bounce a little bit before we go into normalization mode. Yeah. Also, uh, of course, um, last thing here before we talk about is the worst over for falling used truck prices from Mm -hmm. the great Alan Adler. Um, Again, a little bit of a bounce momentum here. Yeah. This is is the same thing. (laughs) It's the same thing. And and so real quick, we had back-to-back quarters of contraction in the GDP a while back and no one said it was a recession. Right. And so I'm, I'm just wondering if with that same logic, we can have back-to-back quarters of growth and still have a recession if back-to-back quarters of contraction is no recession. But that, that's just a conversation for another time. Easy. But we have this article from Alan Apple. Yeah, I think this is probably all we're going to have time for today. But used truck prices have been falling dramatically over the course of the last, well, it looks like, yeah, just the past year and almost a half now. Uh, but... That's because they were so overheated. If we pull up the chart for the used truck prices for three, four, and five-year models, uh, we have seen, you know, some jaggedness to the three-year model there represented in white over the last bit. It's also kind of filters down in the four- and five-year models. But used truck prices are used to kind of, you know, display what are some of these, like, smaller operators doing? Are they purchasing more equipment? Is Mm -hmm. it a short supply market? It's supply and demand. (laughs) they bought a bunch of trucks at 2x the value that they were in the COVID pandemic. Uh, $130,000 for a three-year-old model. Uh, it's hard to hard to substantiate. Right. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of the overheating cooling off. But we broke the trend here pretty significantly. And again, we had some jaggedness here. And I don't think this is one month does not a trend make. Right. But it does look like we're seeing a little bit of a bounce. Uh, do you think this is the floor? for used truck prices. I think Alan had a good article here and take on it from ACT. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on when you're looking at a little spot on spot rates. Okay. I didn't, it's, it's nothing here. Got it. But I think uh, when we're talking about what's going on with data, I think once again, I got to use your attack line, trends, wins, when you're looking at one month of movement, doesn't necessarily make it, okay, this is the change here. Um, I remember when 
ISM PMI hit, I think it was 49.8 mm-hmm. or something like that. Then it went right back down yeah. and to further contraction. So I, I'm not going to say that this is going to be the beginning of the, the shift here, but I do think there is a potential floor being met here. And so I think that is potentially some good signs here. I mean, if we'll you see. like, these are not adjusted for inflation. So you could make the argument that just like the spot rates, uh, that environment there, like there's a floor, there's a natural floor that people are like, we're just not going to drop our rate below mm-hmm. this level. And it's just not going to. So if you're not selling it, that means you're also going to let it sit there for a little bit longer. And that's something we don't have. Uh, maybe they're letting it sit a little bit longer because they just know <laughs> uh, this is going to be what it is. And yeah. that inflation adjusted figure may represent the absolute low end yeah. they're willing to sell it for. And I think uh, the other big thing is when we're looking at charts and, and trends and things like that. And so if we pull up this chart, it's easy to get lost in the mountain of the chart. Yeah. But when you take, if you were to just block that mountain out with your finger or something like that, mm-hmm you'll see that it's getting pretty close to pre-pandemic periods. And so I think that is another thing that could suggest that there is a floor being met here. Yeah, you could totally make this argument across the economy, I think. We've got some, we're still coming out of this like overheated period. And the natural fallout is like quick contraction into a more jagged landing. It's kind of like a bounce. It's not like soft landing that we hear about from the, the Fed all the time, but it's like that jagged landing. And I think that's, probably the best you can hope for at that kind of angle, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think also, overall, before we we close out the show, just knowing that unintended consequences are a thing. So even though you might see just different types of decisions being made overall in the macro economy, mm-hmm. there are going to be some unintended consequences that always follow. So you're saying you need some more government regulation? No, 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 no. <laughs> you just need a great government reset. Yeah, just, just, a, just a reset. Just a nice reset. So <laughs> thanks for watching. Oh,